This is Ticker Symbol U, a podcast focused on highlighting advanced technologies that are transforming our lives and disrupting their competitors in the process. My name is Alex, and I'm definitely not a financial advisor. I'm just a nerd that loves sharing my personal vision of the future and putting my money where my mouth is. To learn more, find me at tickersymbolu.com or youtube.com slash tickersymboluyou. Let's start with this. Kathy Wood just released an article on ARK Invest's website where she issued an urgent warning to investors. In it, she claims that innovation stocks weren't ever in a bubble that popped, and in fact, they're now in deep value territory. This goes against a lot of the narrative that we're seeing in the mainstream media outlets today, and she provides a lot of data and interesting arguments to back up that claim. She covers everything from investing in innovation to fear and greed in the investors. This article even has robots in it. So in this episode, I'm going to walk you through this extended article and add context where I think it adds a little value. There are a lot of awesome investing insights in here, so timestamps are enabled for your convenience. It's definitely worth your time to listen to this all the way through because Kathy Wood lays out all the pieces of the puzzle and then shows you how they all fit together. So grab a drink, throw on your money-making pants, and let's get right into it. Wait, do people still wear pants? The article begins, innovation stocks are not in a bubble. We believe that they are in deep value territory. Throughout my investing career, during times when disruptive innovation strategies have fallen out of favor, my primary concern has revolved around our clients. Perhaps influenced by negative headlines in the media and by the inherent volatility of our strategy, some clients have sold near the bottoms of market cycles, turning what otherwise would have been temporary losses into permanent losses. Our primary message is that innovation solves problems and is expected to transform human lives at an accelerated rate during the next 5 to 10 years. We also reiterate that we take advantage of volatility during corrections and concentrate our portfolios during our highest conviction stocks. Year-to-date, our inflows have outweighed our outflows significantly, suggesting that on balance, investors understand our active management investment process and long-term investment time horizon. Benjamin Graham is the father of value investing and mentor to Warren Buffett. He famously said that in the short run, the market is like a voting machine, but in the long run, it's a weighing machine. That means in the near term, a stock's price is influenced by everything else going on in the world, like the pandemic, fiscal policy, politics, and so on. In the long term, though, a stock reflects the underlying performance of the business. By actively trading companies that they deeply understand over the long term, ARK Invest can take advantage of the mistakes that other investors are making in the short term to make even bigger gains. This is something that passively managed indexes like the S&P 500 can't really match if they only rebalance four times a year. Volatility is as much an opportunity as it is a risk, and ARK Invest is taking advantage of that. Let's keep reading and see how much of a difference in performance this active, long-term investing style can actually make. Historically, and according to our research, this concentration of our portfolios during corrections has led to significant absolute performance and relative outperformance as the market rebounds. According to our current estimates, our more concentrated flagship strategy today could deliver a 40% compound annual rate of return during the next five years. Only one other time in ARK's history, at the end of 2018, has the five-year return projection been that high. After correcting for nearly 11 months, innovation stocks seem to have entered deep value territory, their valuations a fraction of peak levels. In our view, the coronavirus crisis initiated a rip-and-replace cycle in the $1.5 trillion enterprise communication space, the first major product replacement cycle since the emergence of the internet roughly 30 years ago. We do not believe that this shift was temporary. 
Stimulated by stay at home, this transformation has shifted to stay connected in a hybrid work world and stay competitive. Kathy Wood provides some very interesting data on Zoom, DocuSign, and Teladoc, comparing their revenue and EBITDA between when their stock prices peaked and what their prices are today. Teladoc is ARK Invest's second biggest position overall, and Zoom is their fourth biggest. These positions are both well over a billion dollars each if you combine ARK Invest's actively managed funds. Let's dive into this data for a second. Zoom is down at 68% from its peak, and Teladoc is down 70%. The last time these stocks were as cheap as they are today was in June of last year for Zoom and January of last year for Teladoc. Last time Zoom was this cheap, its annual revenue was 60% smaller, 6-0. And last time Teladoc was this cheap, its annual revenue was almost three times smaller. It was also a completely different company since it hadn't yet acquired Lavongo. If we look at their EBITDA, we can see the same trend. Zoom's EBITDA is over 50% bigger and Teladoc's is over 30% bigger than the last time these stocks were this exact same price. Also, think about this rip and replace idea in our own lives. Tweet me at ticker symbol U. Did your workplace change any software or hardware technologies when everyone shifted from in-person to work from home? Did you begin using any new kinds of services in your daily life or change the way that you shop at all over the last two years? Is there anything you're using way less now that you used before the pandemic began? Are you going to change back or stick with these things moving forward? I'm excited to hear your thoughts. Let's keep reading. Has inflation derailed disruptive innovation? Since mid-February of 2021, many broad-based market indices have scaled to record highs and in the process rotated away from growth stocks towards value and defensive stocks, including the FANGs, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. Chief among the reasons for this rotation are fears that inflation is not a short-term problem related to supply chain bottlenecks, but the result of excessive monetary and fiscal policy responses to the coronavirus and its variants. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell suggested that inflation might not be transitory after all, turbocharging the rotation towards value stocks and giving investors more reasons for tax loss selling in the innovation space as the year winds down. Are quant strategies and algorithms exacerbating inflation fears? By some estimates, algorithmic trading accounts for roughly 70% of all trading in the U.S., 7-0, and even higher percentages during periods of heightened volatility. Last year, as the equity market responded to the ugly reality of the coronavirus during March and April, quant and algorithmically driven strategies seemed to seize simplistically on two variables, level of cash on company balance sheets and rate of cash burn. And in just a few weeks, they crushed many stocks by 50 to 75%. Momentum followers and market commentators embraced this obvious trade, but they were wrong. Many of those stocks were in the genomic space, their underlying technologies critical to tackling the coronavirus, genomic sequencing, synthetic biology, mRNA technology, machine learning, and molecular diagnostics testing, among others. Against conventional wisdom, buying those stocks was the right move. At times this year, as inflation and interest rates flared, quants and algorithms again seemed to dominate the trading activity. Once again, market commentators, investors, strategists, high-frequency traders, and others followed the influencers, warning against mistakes made during the tech and telecom bubble. What I'm recommending to the CNBC uh, Investment Club, 
I say buy some Ford. Now that sells at 10 times earnings. And by the way, they make and sell a lot of cars and they make a lot of money. So one of the best things you can do as an investor is to understand what world events actually affect the company versus which ones are only affecting the stock price. Inflation hurts long duration assets because today's money is going to be worth a lot less in the future, while aggressive growth stocks are sacrificing profits today and thus earnings per share to grow faster later down the line. That mismatch also causes growth stocks to suffer when interest rates rise to combat inflation. Even worse, it's also the end of the year, so people tend to tax loss harvest, meaning they tend to sell stocks at a loss to offset their gains in order to free up some cash while getting to pay less taxes for the year. Obviously, things like bonds becoming more attractive investments and it being the month of December have no meaningful long-term impact on these growth companies. For example, it's not three times harder for Teladoc to grow now because of these things, even though its stock price has crumbled to a third of its all-time high. Here's another example. Remember when Tesla's stock went on a massive 800% rally last year alone? Remember how stupid some analysts and commentators and influencers looked when they kept raising their price targets by $100 at a time while ARK Invest's price target was $1,400 per share post-split and everyone kept calling them crazy? I've made episode after episode covering Tesla's major innovations and how the market kept punishing them simply because they don't see the bigger picture. Well, this is the exact same thing, only with a negative sign. Commentators and influencers are trying to create a narrative that follows the prices of growth stocks downwards, so they sound smart when people look at them in hindsight. Instead, we need to admit that simple robots looking at just two or three numbers are responsible for more than two-thirds of all trades on the markets today. The robots currently think that these are clearly stay-at-home stocks and that the pandemic is over, or that these stocks are too young and too highly valued, just like in the dot-com bubble. That's what we're seeing in the market, so that's what the mainstream stock commentators are latching onto. By the way, as Kathy Wood pointed out, these are the same trading robots and commentators that decided to sell genomics stocks during the coronavirus, the same genomics companies that are helping fight the exact pandemic that panicked the market in the first place. The thing is, these market robots and narrative chasers are messing with the short-term voting machine, not the long-term weighing machine. As a result, they're causing a huge inefficiency in the market. And where there's inefficiency, there's opportunity. Let's keep reading and see how Kathy Wood thinks all of this will play out over time. In ARK's view, these Pavlovian responses will prove just as wrong as those in the early days of the coronavirus crisis. They are backwards looking and do not recognize that companies investing aggressively today are sacrificing short-term profitability for an important reason to capitalize on an innovation age, the likes of which the world has never witnessed. The new age is thanks to five major innovation platforms evolving today, DNA sequencing, robotics, energy storage, artificial intelligence, and blockchain technology. Yet, if ARK's research is correct, companies myopically focused on short-term profitability have not invested enough to capitalize on the explosive growth opportunities associated with the five innovation platforms that have been germinating since their seeds were planted in the 20 years that ended in the tech and telecom bubble. Instead, many are likely to suffer from creative destruction. Even the fangs could be in harm's way, as the convergence of blockchain technology and artificial intelligence in the so-called metaverse attempts to destroy the roles of centralized data aggregators, ceding economic power to creators and consumers. So there are two parts to this section that we need to talk about, first the companies and then the investors. For the companies, I don't think being on the right side of change is an all or nothing idea. 
like almost everything else, it's a spectrum. For example, Facebook completely rebranded to meta platforms to focus on the metaverse. Maybe they won't win the day there, but what if they keep dominating the markets for virtual reality goggles? What if Apple creates the best dApp store for distributed applications, just like it has with its app store for current cloud-based mobile applications? Or what if they create the best iPhone or some sort of pocket computer for browsing a decentralized internet? I'm not saying the fangs will be the biggest winners of the metaverse or whatever the next generation of the internet will be, but what I am saying is that they have enough money and connections and infrastructure and know-how to choose how to make the most money as the world keeps changing. I wouldn't bet too hard against the fangs. As for Kathy Wood's views on institutional investors being backward-looking, short-term oriented, and focused on beating arbitrary benchmarks, I completely agree. I say buy some Ford. Especially if you include those trading algorithms and robots in that statement. What's interesting about this focus on beating the S&P 500 is that it's making less and less sense over time. Think about it. Tesla is the seventh biggest holding in the S&P 500 and in the NASDAQ right now. It wasn't even in these indices just a couple of years ago. In fact, the average amount of time a company stays in the S&P 500 is getting shorter and shorter each decade. By the time many of us are looking to retire, the S&P 500 could look a lot closer to an actively traded fund than we think. When that happens, people who run back to the safety of these indices will be called copycats and morons because these indices will constantly be pulling the rug out from under them. Think about how dumb it is for these big institutional investors today to slam companies like Tesla and Facebook, then put all of their money into an index where Tesla and Facebook are both top 10 positions. Also think about the kinds of companies that make up these funds in general. Airline companies, big banks, legacy energy companies, the exact kinds of value traps that are about to get disrupted and drag the indices down until they eventually get kicked out of the index. Which companies do you want to be holding over the next 10 years? These legacy companies I just mentioned, or the companies like Tesla, which inevitably get added to the index and immediately claim a top 10 spot? Think about it. Why are we comparing our performance to these shifting indexes at all? Anyway, let's keep reading. Other markets are not corroborating fears of inflation. Perhaps oddly, we've been encouraged this year by the talk of a bubble in the public equity markets as valuations associated with disruptive innovation have collapsed. Why? Because other markets are not corroborating the fear that inflation is here to stay. Broad-based public market indexes, for example, are near record highs, their valuations at levels not seen since the tech and telecom bubble. In the early 80s, as inflation ravaged the U.S. economy, the trailing 12-month price-to-earnings ratio of the S&P 500 collapsed to a low of roughly 6.8, roughly a quarter of the level in place today. Which market has it wrong? The stocks associated with disruptive innovation or broad-based public equity indices? Likewise, private equity market valuations are near record highs thanks to successive uprounds. In the latest example, Newbank started this year with a funding round at a $25 billion valuation and went public this month 60% higher at more than $40 billion. Meanwhile, shares of Mercado Libre, a well-managed competitive e-commerce and fintech stock growing at nearly the same rate, have been cut in half. In our view, the wall of worry built on the back of high multiple stocks bodes well for equities in the innovation space. The strongest bull markets do climb a wall of worry, a fact that those making comparisons to the tech and telecom bubble seem to forget. No wall of worry existed or tested the equity market in 1999. This time around, the wall of worry has scaled to enormous heights. So this is a great section and I only have a few quick notes here. 
Mercado Libre, ticker symbol MELI, is currently ARK Invest's 49th biggest position overall. It's also the 7th biggest holding in my $100,000 portfolio, which is trying to compete directly with ARKK. So if you're interested in learning all about this awesome e-commerce and fintech company and why Kathy Wood called it out specifically, I made a detailed deep dive episode on it earlier this year. Let's read through how Kathy Wood puts everything we've talked about together to tell a very different and much more compelling story of what's actually going on with growth stocks. Could the risk be deflation? I started my career while in college in the late 70s when inflation was soaring. I am sensitized to the possibility that I could be wrong on inflation. That said, my conviction is growing that the bigger surprise to the markets will be price deflation. According to Wright's Law, our research shows that costs associated with every cumulative doubling in the number of whole human genomes sequenced with long read technologies will drop 28%, and those associated with short reads will drop 40%. Meanwhile, every cumulative doubling in the number of industrial robots and batteries produced will drive costs down 50% and 28% respectively. Moreover, artificial intelligence training costs are declining at a rate of 60% per year. Provocatively, these platforms are converging. The convergence between and among robotics, energy storage, and artificial intelligence will create autonomous taxis and significant growth potential. By 2030, autonomous taxi networks could scale from no revenue today to $9 to $10 trillion globally, which when combined with the productivity uplift from time freed up from behind the wheel could total more than $20 trillion. For perspective, US GDP today is roughly $21 trillion. In other words, good deflation could result in outsized growth rates for those companies positioned on the right side of change. Subject to much more debate is the cyclical case for deflation. As businesses were shutting down in early 2020, some consumers turned around and used the government stimulus payments to hoard goods, boosting the level of inventories in their homes and garages. Exacerbating some supply chain issues, consumers started holiday shopping earlier this year out of fear that shelves would be empty, pushing the CPI inflation rate to 6.8% in November of 2021. At the same time, the U.S. consumer saving rate dropped below 8%, the range in place before the coronavirus crisis, leaving less room for future consumption and hoarding. As a result, consumption growth is likely to slow significantly during the next three to six months, just as supply chain bottlenecks are clearing, potentially saddling businesses with excess inventories. If we're correct, during the next three to six months, the market is likely to focus more on the risk of recession in the U.S., the serious slowdown in the Chinese and emerging market economies, and potentially a surprising drop in inflation. Typically during a slowdown, the adoption of new technologies accelerates as concerned businesses and consumers are more willing to change behavior. Many of the technology leaders to which they turn now seem to be in deep value territory. Innovation stocks are not in a bubble. We believe they are in deep value territory. During the late 90s, equity investors ignored value stocks in favor of growth stocks, particularly those in the tech, telecom, and biotech spaces. The internet and its network effects seemed miraculous, enough so that investors chased the dream. Volatility on the upside was a beautiful thing. Unfortunately, too much capital chased too few opportunities. The technologies were prohibitively expensive and not ready for prime time. The cost to sequence the first whole human genome at the time, for example, was $2.7 billion or more. Tech and telecom companies like Cisco, Oracle, Hewitt-Packard, Intel, and WorldCom were not the companies that later would create the cloud, software as a service, or artificial intelligence chips, yet their stocks hit exorbitant valuations. 
Again, investors were chasing the dream, often with eyeballs as the only valuation metric. Value managers believed that valuing companies by the number of potential eyeballs they might serve globally in 10 years would not end well, and they were right. The day of reckoning took longer than expected, but on March 10th, 2000, the bubble burst and value stocks took off. Ravaged by the tech and telecom bust in 2000 to 2003, and then again by the financial meltdown in 2008 and 2009, investors, especially institutional investors, are much more risk-averse today. Volatility has become a bad word because every spike in the volatility index, or the VIX, since 2000 has been associated with a bear market. Instead of surfacing and researching exciting investment opportunities in the burgeoning innovation space, investors seem to be hugging their benchmarks and looking to the past for future success. Benchmarks guide investors to companies that have already enjoyed considerable success. Broad-based equity benchmarks could be in harm's way because of disruptive innovation. Because the global economy is undergoing the largest technological transformation in history, most benchmarks could be in harm's way. Unlike many innovation-related stocks, equity benchmarks are selling at record high prices and near record high valuations. As a result, we believe tried and true investment strategies will disappoint during the next 5 to 10 years, as DNA sequencing, robotics, energy storage, artificial intelligence, and blockchain technologies scale and converge. In other words, if our research is correct, and I believe that our research on innovation is the best in the financial world, then our strategies will triple to quintuple in value over the next 5 years. Yet, as this year winds to a close, investors seem to be interested in playing it safe and moving closer to the benchmarks that, in our view, are unlikely to generate even average returns during the next 10 years. We will not let benchmarks and tracking errors hold our strategies hostage to the existing world order. The coronavirus crisis permanently changed the way the world works, catapulting consumers and businesses into the digital age much faster and deeper than otherwise would have been the case. Dismissing innovation strategies as stay-at-home glosses over a crucial point. Innovation solves problems in a way that consumers and businesses adopt with relief, enthusiasm, and delight. Critical to investment success will be moving to the right side of change, avoiding industries and companies caught in the crosshairs of creative destruction. I say buy some Ford. And embracing those on the leading edge of disruptive innovation. So, there you have it. I love this article because it's an investment directly into the investor. It's a well-rounded masterclass explaining what moves the market and what we should be watching out for. How investors always need to create this narrative for the price action they're seeing when it's really determined by robots who only consider one or two variables. Understanding how inflation, interest rates, and the yield curve are revealing the market's flight to safety instead of a bubble that everyone claims that growth stocks are in. Looking at how these same growth companies have thrived over the last year or two while their stocks have been getting absolutely decimated simply because big institutions are harvesting losses for taxes or because the Federal Reserve changed their mind on something that they've gotten wrong before time and time again. Understanding that the indexes are slow to reflect this new normal and when they do shift, they shift in big ways, like adding Tesla, which immediately became a top position in every index that it entered. At the same time, these indexes are so slow to change that they're starting to fill up with value traps, so looking to them for safety could be a huge mistake over the next 5-10 to years if they don't purge those losers fast enough. And finally, the need to do your own research and build your own convictions in the stocks that you hold instead of following the masses so that you're buying the best companies in the world when they're on sale instead of dumping them at the bottom. That's why it's so important to invest in the investor, the person doing the buying, the selling, and the holding. That's you. 
Until next time, this is Ticker Symbol U. My name is Alex, reminding you that the best investment you can make is in you.